Welcome to the Men at Work podcast, episode number eight. I'm your host, Travis Streb. Today, I am talking to my friend, Tom Schapansky. Tom is one of the founding partners at Rethink. They are a Canadian creative agency. They've been around for about 20 years. Started off with Tom and his two founding partners sitting in a room talking about clients and how to change the game and create a great company. This conversation really focuses on the company Tom's built and how he's done it. There's so many unique things about Rethink, you know, the massive gender diversity they have and other diversity they have on their leadership team, you know, how they've led this company without a CEO, building a really flat structure, and in essence, doing a lot of it according to some really straightforward values that they have stuck to and been unwilling to compromise on. So Tom's got a unique story. He's got an amazing company that he's built, and I know you're going to take a lot out of this episode. Let's dive in. Tom, you, you know, you have this like really interesting background in the sense that you grew up in Alberta and somehow you managed to get yourself involved in marketing advertising, which seems to me like a Toronto, Vancouver thing. You come out to Vancouver, you work for a, um, for an ad firm and then you start your own. So maybe you can take us a bit on, on your, your journey to being the founder and, and now, um, you know, founding partner of, of Rethink, this am- amazingly successful advertising firm that's managed to keep its soul in the process. Yeah, well, it's great to be here, uh, Travis. Thank you for having me. The, I mean, my journey did start in Edmonton. R- real proud to be from Edmonton. It was a great place to grow up, great place to go to school. And uh, in terms of my first exposure to this business, it was actually at home. My dad uh, worked for 6:30 Chad Radio in the heyday, really in the 70s and uh, late 60s and through the 70s, and and uh, and he was uh, a terrific salesman and worked closely with clients. And I thought, wow, my dad's got a cool job. And uh, when I graduated, actually my my degree was going to be in agriculture, so went a very different route. Sort of explored that a bit, and then realized that's not what I wanted. Kind of interesting, but not a career. And, uh, and then studied marketing, marketing and communications in school, and, uh, and really wanted to uh, be involved on the creative side. So was attracted to uh, uh, a design agency, uh, cut my teeth at a design agency early on, uh, moved to a, a more full-service agency, and, uh, and worked at actually two agencies in, in Edmonton. I met both my uh, current wife at the second agency and, and one of the other founding partners in Edmonton. So I, I created uh, what, what will be, I know, lifelong partnerships early on in my life and career. The opportunity came up in the early 90s to work for Frank Palmer at Palmer Jarvis. It was a great, great opportunity. And, and, and it was the, you know, thank goodness, the, the la- latter days of the Mad Men era. <laughs> You know, there were bars and booze and offices, and I certainly was glad that I was at the tail end, not at the beginning of that era, for sure. But Frank taught us a lot about building a company, being an entrepreneur, and little did he know through all of uh, our time there, we learned that uh, we wanted to start something on our own. Uh, So my two other uh, founders are both uh, creatives, art director, writer, Chris and Ian, uh, amazing guys, amazing at the time, uh, and, and, and really over the last 20 years, two of the top-ranked creatives in the country, uh, and, uh, and we had a chance to, to start Rethink together with uh, no clients, with uh, really a dream of building a company that, can do, that could do great work uh, with great brands around people that we liked and enjoyed, and in the end, let's make a bit of money. So that was really the inception. That was 1999, and it's been an amazing run. So we're we're in our 20th year. We'll finish, um, you know, this fiscal 
you know, uh, you know, a lot bigger than we ever thought we'd be. But it, but you know, I brought a book which we can reference earlier. For for us, it was never about being big; it was always about being being the best and being good at what we did, and not sacrificing quality for growth. I'd say that was a real key piece. And we said to many, "Hey, we'll be thirty or forty of us only in Vancouver." I think we're 155 between uh, Vancouver, Toronto, and Montreal today. So yeah, it's been it's been an amazing ride, and and obviously a lot of great people have been on it with us, and it wouldn't be what it is without all those amazing people. So yeah, can can you say a little more about your time in um, in Edmonton and around the marketing side? And I'm curious to get your thoughts because in the in the, you know, that would have been in the 80s, right? Yeah, you're going to yeah, school. Yeah. Going to school to do marketing, advertising, creative work, that must have been somewhat out of the norm. It seems like, for, especially for a man to be jumping into that career or into that um, line of study. Yeah, on, but on the business side, there, you know, a lot of the heads of agencies, it's changed, thank goodness, uh, were men. And, um, and my role unlike Chris and Ian, uh, you know, uh, is on the business side. So Chris, Chris actually studied journalism at Carleton in Ottawa. Um, Ian studied uh, design and, and creative in Pasadena down in California at, at, at the art school. So they both uh, uh, went, uh, uh, you know, went abroad to study and then came back. Ian's, Ian's actually uh, you know, has spent most of his time in Vancouver. So we met Ian at, Chris and I met Ian at Palmer Jarvis. So, yeah, no, I, I'd say it wasn't that unusual. A lot of, you know, senior uh, agency heads and even a lot of creative directors were, were it, was, it was like many industries, still very male-driven, right, in the, in the earlier days. And that, that, that's changed and, and, and changed for the good, certainly in the last uh, 30 years. Well, it's true, and I, I look at your talent bench even just on your website you know your creative director you've got you know an amazing amount of diversity on your team yeah. and I'm wondering in the, the 20 years since you built this thing you said you kind of came out of it out of the Mad Men era yeah what do you think has been and what what's really mattered for you in building a company that can celebrate that kind of diversity and you know I walk around your office here I mean it's there's nothing like it, the traditional ad agency that you might have imagined, especially if you're used to the kind of Mad yeah. Men version on television. Well, I think um, the inspiration, I didn't bring that book, but the inspiration for Rethink was a book that Ian, um, uh, Ian read uh, and then shared with Chris and I and others while we were still at Palmer Jarvis. It, it was called uh, Open Minds by a, a guy named Andy Law and Andy broke away from a multinational in London when when the multinational had acquired the the network and started uh, a, an agency called St. Luke's and what inspired us about St. Luke's was it was driven by a clear set of values values and principles that guided um, the way that they'd operate uh, the way that they were structured who they would work with what they believed in and I think we um, you know, Palmer Jarvis had sold, and and we were questioning the core values. I'd say, and 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 Frank had, you know, Palmer Jarvis had very strong core values, and 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 we really believed in those, and 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 I think uh, transported uh, uh, some of those, and had our own core values that we added on. But I'd say, you know, what what's allowed us to have the longevity that we've had is we've had values and beliefs that have guided us and it's helped uh, make decisions around the kind of people that we want to hire, the kind of clients that we want to work with. And as much as clients need to choose agencies, agencies need to choose clients. And it needs to be, uh, it needs to be mutual. You know, I'd say we're, sure, we're in the service business, we're here to serve, we're here to deliver, but in the end, uh, before you serve and deliver, you have to believe. Like you have to believe in the work that you're doing. Like our goal is to help uh, our clients build their brand. If you don't believe in the brand, then 
Are you just plugging your nose to do the work, to make the money, to build the brand, even if you don't believe? And we've chosen not to go that route. So, so you know, when I look at our roster today, and we've had long-term relationships with amazing companies that we believed in on day one, and we believe in as much today. So A&W, in our third month, hired us. You know, we're in our 19th year. You know, I guess it'll be at you know on our 20th anniversary. We'll have almost been with them 20 years. The, the basically the life of the agency, and and you know they took a chance on us when we were upstart and fledgling, and it's been a win-win because they are values-based. They're an amazing company. They're so well run with inspired leadership and great work on strategy. And you know we've helped grow each other's businesses and and it's been a true partnership and a win-win and and I I yeah we just love working with them and 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 we've got many others Coast Capital the credit union out here very similar very values based and we help create that brand out of the merger of three credit unions so I th I'd say you know great companies have clear values have beliefs that guide them and that gives them the kind of longevity that you hope for yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty clear in talking to you and in working with your people that the values are there. When you look at your values, which are the you know the one or the or maybe the more than one that have helped you to stay open to the idea of building a really diverse team here? Well, if you turn around over your right shoulder, the poster says, "Work hard." And be nice to people. <laughs> I didn't choose this room for that reason, but if but you I, did, well played. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess so. But no, it's like don't be an asshole, right? Like I think um, you know we uh, you know we've created to have a creative culture. You you need to have you know you need to have enough ego to do the work to drive the business, but. You have to be open, and you have to be kind, and you have to be grateful, and you have to share, and you have to um, have have gratitude, and you have to do all the things that you only hope someone did for you early on in your career. And I've had, you know, lots of great mentors and bosses, and our goal has been, you know, to create that environment where great work can happen. And I think. I think it's really creating those conditions where you you create the conditions you you and then get out of the way and even as we look at our succession and transition down the road it's how do we uh, embed those values have a clear process and then truly get out of the way and allow uh, the team to be able to now uh, do even greater things and I you know, and I think as a leader, you have to be open to, you know, celebrating others' wins. You have to be open to um, the, the accolades will fall on the team, maybe not you specifically. And, 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 and I get more joy out of seeing the team win and uh, seeing the team succeed as I did uh, when I was in the room or on the business. So I think that, that, that's really critical. And then the, the last piece I'd share, Travis, is just around um, we put sort of, everyone has sort of triple or quadruple bottom lines, but ours is, you know, quite simply three Ps. It's uh, people, always people first. And, uh, you know, people, is our, people are our most valuable asset. So it's, it's people first, people product so creative output is our second p and then profit and we want all three we want uh, engaged talented people we want the best work that we can do and and striving for best work in in canada and then we want to grow and we want to deliver a reasonable margin but even on our margin expectation we're prepared to we're prepared to push and deliver the margin margin that the conditions will allow. So if the conditions this year are tight economy, clients are cutting, well, do we try to drive hard at a margin expectation that is unrealistic? Because you do that, guess, guess the first thing I'd have to cut 
I'd have to cut my first P. I'd have to start cutting people. The minute you start cutting people, you affect the second P, which is profit. And then, or, or sorry, product. And then the minute you affect profit, you have clients who don't want to work with you. So you, you, it's, it's a downward spiral. So even, you know, we've laid people off, but it, you know, there were dark days when we contracted and we've had to regroup and, and you've got to do those things. But, 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 but in that year, it wasn't to get to a margin that we were happy with. It was to get to break even, and we were happy with break even that year, which we got to, by yeah. the way. So, <laughs> yeah. So that's, I'd say, in a nutshell, those have been some of the guiding principles that have helped us uh, through our journey. Well, it's an interesting reflection that you talk about the, you know, the, the people first. There's a lot of companies say that. You've probably seen it. I mean, you're a keen observer of advertising and marketing. You see that these these people first ideas get out there and you know, you've really embodied it, which is amazing to see. There's also something that is, is, is unique here and that a trend I'm seeing a little bit, which is there's, you know, there's research out there around s certain workplaces becoming these, coming up what's called a masculinity contest, where in essence it's like traditional masculine values like take no prisoners, win at all costs, uh, you know, individual achievement over group achievement, and they exist. Mm -hmm. And what the picture you've just painted for uh, me and this audience is really about doing the exact opposite of mm -hmm. that, which is actually focusing on collaboration, not win at all costs. Of course, you would like to win. You want to be successful. But re really redefining what it means, and and actually picking up some leadership traits as a group of three male founding partners that actually women tend to do better at than men. Mm -hmm. So things like collaborative decision-making, values-based leadership, mm -hmm. that type of thing. And I'm, mm -hmm. I'm interested, you know, how have you been able to do that with, in essence, and we, you know, we talked about this before, like you've got a, a bit of an echo chamber in your, in, with the founding partners to some degree. Mm -hmm where it's mostly the same you know, it's like three men talking to each other about the future of the company. Mm -hmm. And yet you've built this super diverse team that's going to follow up and it's going to look nothing like, um, like the current composition. Yeah. I'm, you know, I, I, it's hard, you know, I guess, uh, everyone's personalities are different. I think we were all, all three of us were open and, um, you know, and it, and it goes without saying our, shared leadership model because there's no president there's no ceo there never has been the three founders have been the 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 governing and 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 the the governing body in essence and even as we transition the business we'll form um, more of a governance board that will govern the operation of the business so um yeah and and it's it's hard i i'd say in you know in, in each of our offices Toronto Vancouver and Montreal we've got a mix of, uh, of, of, of we've got a gender mix at the managing partner level in, in Toronto and Vancouver anyway Montreal we're, we're still building out and I'd say you know 20 years later we're more conscious of that because there's just uh, uh, I think a, 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 a yeah just a, a overall a more consciousness around around that and and as I said earlier I think it's great the you know I've always loved you know working with with strong female leaders it's interesting uh, you know I look at at NW the CEO Susan is a an amazing leader who uh, I look up to and is a, a great partner uh, our one of our lead clients Catherine at Shaw is a president now and oversees marketing and she's amazing and um, you know so through I know the course of my career it 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 didn't make a difference if it was a male or a female it was that was invisible my my life partner Roxanne is has her, has had her own business in many ways we've been each other's board of directors so I, th I think I know if I can speak for me personally it's been it hasn't mattered I think male female I I just I'm I'm looking for values alignment and competency right like that's that's the you know those are the those are the important things not are you male female right well yeah and um, that's what is to me fascinating. There's two, you know, two things that you said there. The first is that you don't have a CEO, 
you know, that's a different dynamic. The second is you've got these, you know, work hard and be nice to people as guiding, you know, some guiding values for you without having an explicit diversity or gender policy. You've managed to make some incredibly wise decisions and build a really strong bench of super capable leaders, regardless of, of gender or other, yeah. you know, yeah. diversity. Yeah. 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 No, and, 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 Trust me when I say it hasn't been part of a grand plan. We've, you know, as as we all are, there's more consciousness about more of a balance, and 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 I and I think part of it, what when I think about, you know, what the dynam the dynamic that a, a man or a woman can bring into a relationship too is just d different points of view. Like I've always said, you want partners and. Um, and business associates, where you're bringing, uh, you know, when you're bringing something different, and the three founders are very different. I'd say our managing partners in each of the offices are very different and diverse in their thinking, and I think that's what, you know, in the end, we have to solve clients' problems with a creative idea. So we need uh, a diversity of of views and opinions and outlooks to be able to get there. So we look at the problem from all sides. Because if we're all similar, we're all going to only look at the problem from the one side. So I think the, yeah, I think, uh, you know, even between the business side and the creative side of our business, there's, you know, we're looking at things from from different angles. And that's been a, a, a real, real positive thing. So, yeah, that I think is, is something that's, maybe somewhat unique about your industry and your business whereas you have you have both energies built into your business so when i talk about energies i'm you know i'm thinking about feminine masculine mm. you know men and women have have both mm -hmm. energies about them mm -hmm. feminine being more on the creative side masculine being more on the business side right you know traditionally speaking yeah. and you've been able to to marry those together in essence or create some mm -hmm. form of polarity where they can exist mm -hmm. and really feed off each other. Mm -hmm. um, has that been something that's been overt, or it's probably uh, if I'm if I'm to think of just the uh, yeah the the who fits here at rethink the the fit isn't a uh, a, a typical. What not typical, but at least a, an aggressive type A, you described earlier, win at all costs. That's not that's not the the persona or the personality that's really going to fit. The what's going to fit here is you've got the talent and you and you have confidence and ability and drive and desire. And I think. Um, and and enough ego, but not too much. That you're you're going to do the right thing. You're going to be part of a team, and, uh, and I think that's the the key thing. Is you know, in our business and in many businesses, I think it's all about team. And again, that sounds pretty cliche, Travis. But you know, I know you're an avid cyclist. We both cycle, and when I tell people it's a team sport or you're part of a team, everyone looks at me, huh? You're, aren't you just on your bike? Well, you realize the importance of a team and how a team is needed. You know, I'm still playing pickup hockey and the importance of a team and being a defenseman who rarely sees the score sheet. You have to be a team player to, to defend. So I think the, you know, the importance of team is embedded into what we do and how we do it. And... And that's and and even to have a, you know, a leadership structure now that is a team of people, not a person. And you realize that, and that team of people have to make decisions that can guide the organization, and they need to get to agreement, and and consensus on things that they need to do. So it forces again to use my earlier comment about looking at things from different sides. When you look at our business, you're going to have, you know, the creatives are looking at it from in one way and, 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 the, and, and the business perspective from another. So you, you know, I, th I think, you know, this a notion of a team, even at a leadership level, is, is, is powerful. It's hard to pull off, you know, it's really, really hard to pull off. And we, 
didn't realize how unusual it was, but it's worked and we're bound and determined in our succession plan to continue to make that work as, as part of our, our structure moving forward. Well, and it's, I mean, it's baked into this company. And I know you and I have talked about this before, but the uniqueness of your, of your leadership structure at the top, um, to have three people in essence as equals operating as one executive, mm -hmm. how, how does that work? And I'm, I'm thinking particularly of my listeners here who might be questioning like, well, don't you need a CEO? I think you've proven you definitely don't. Um, you've been, you know, extremely successful and built this company. But what is that like to lead collaboratively like that? Well, it, you know, it sure helps when you're uh, equal shareholders with, you know, we've had equal across all compensation shareholding. So, so we've been equals. And then always believing that the other guy or the other person has the tougher job, right? Like I look at solving a problem creatively and I just think oh, I'm so fortunate to have uh, you know creative partners that are able to do that. I think they look at me to be able to handle the business side, to be able to deal, deal with clients and issues the way I, they, they, they're grateful. And I think, so I think there's, there's appreciation and gratitude two-way on, on that. I think that's, that's, that's part of it. And then we have incredible respect for each other and um, and trust in each other and I and I think uh, as I look at because the segue for us is not only have we been able to do it but can you replicate that so within each office we've got the you know the managing partner teams in each of our offices is essentially structured the way we were with a shared leadership model and uh, and early days but I know if you're to ask the leaders in those roles in each of the offices how it's going, uh, I think each of them, and they've, they've, they've led in other ways at other companies, and they've seen the other side. And, and I would, and I know, I talked to one of them yesterday in Toronto, it's way better. You know, she's having way more fun than she's ever had. She's way more challenged than she's ever been. She's, you know, incredibly fulfilled and happy. So, so I, th yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, I think it's, um, it's unique. Uh, but uh, I, you know, I, I think it, it takes out that hierarchical top down and the top being one person that has final say, that has the hammer, that has the ability to say yay or nay. So, so it does really. Uh, uh, flatten things because it's flat at the top. It's not. There's no. There's no peak. It's flat, right? So yeah, yeah. Well, I, and it's it's obviously worked. I think it's a model worth considering for for people out there. I, you know, I'll echo your your managing partner in Toronto's sentiments around that. I know. I go, I, you know, I go and work with organizations with individuals as a coach with teams. The amount of conversations that are about the politics and the power struggles, especially at the top of the house, is mm -hmm. it's a, it dominates the conversation in most part. And I don't, mm -hmm. you know, I, I know you haven't eliminated that, and you're not pretending no. to. It's more that no. you've, you know, the conversations actually in many ways are tougher. Right. But you, but there's a sense that the outcome mm -hmm. will be reflective of the group. Mm -hmm. How, so when you, like when you when you look at where you came from, you said you entered advertising in, the, in that kind of madman or the end of the madman era or whatever. I mean, I don't know how accurate that mm. show is. I had never worked on that agency, but what, how did you just decide, like, this is going to be completely different? I mean, like, it must have been, a, like, to, to completely turn the model on its head. Well, the, I think the, the, turning, the turning point was really, um, you know, when Palmer... Jarvis sold to a multinational, and 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 I, I think it was great for Frank and great for his partners, and and what became DDB has continued to be a great agency. So you know I think uh, they've been able to make that transition to multinational ownership with publicly traded expectations, and and I think therein lies the I think the big difference when. When you look at uh, privately held businesses and 
the ability to do to have the freedom to do what you want. I, you talked earlier about you know our goals. Well, we don't. I don't have to deliver a quarter. I don't have to deliver you know six months. I've got to deliver a year. You know, we 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 have expectations around what we need to do in a year, and and we set goals. Uh, we set goals around people and engagement around the product output and, and around growth and profit. But we're not bound to, we have to report, and, and we do have quarterly partner meetings and we share, and, um, and we're not, but we're not adjusting, you know, the, the growth and earnings on a quarter by quarter basis to meet anyone's expectations, we report to ourselves. So I think that that's a big that's a big difference and and we take a very long-term view we've always had a long-term view uh, on the business and and on our outlook the you know opening Toronto was incredibly tough but required a long-term view and investment to open in that market and it's taken you know a long long time to get to where we're truly established and I say in the last sort of three four years that's happened, but we had to be very patient. Our money had to be very patient in terms of investment in in that market. So, so I think the those, and then I referenced that book earlier. I think it was really knowing that you know the 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 culture that we grew up in was going to change, and and it does change. It's it's inevitable that it changes when a sale or a merger happens. So we just felt it was time, and and I didn't know how much we'd hold on to those values but one of our uh, actually one of our mentors and he was a creative mentor to Chris and Ian Ron Woodall said you know a principle is uh, uh, is only a principle when it costs you money right so mm. so I think substitute principle for value and I think uh, you know the the notion of your values are your values until you're challenged so what I'd say to you is we could cha we could have chased lots of the business that we didn't believe in, but we chose not to. We chose to say we'll forego that opportunity if we don't have a belief around it. And and I think that's been um, that's been really key to um, uh, our success. And and I think there's there's lots of um, agencies with different beliefs that should work on different kinds of clients. And there's lots of business for everybody, right? So just have those beliefs go after the things that you want to work on and then you know develop trust build relationships and take a long-term view so with our clients with our business with everything we've taken a long-term view and that's it's not impossible but it's certainly more difficult to do when you're a publicly traded company it is yeah <laughs> it strikes me that your your comment you just said there's lots of business for everybody and uh, I, I do not know if you'd find you know, very common agreement with that in, in most businesses. There is a sense, there is in many businesses that there's a finite number of clients and a finite amount of business and we're competing, competing, competing. Yep. Um, and you've said, we want to make money. Mm -hmm. But you've in essence adopted this idea, maybe it's more of a blue ocean strategy before the book was even written. <laughs> Um, so what are some of the things, if you're able to, can you share an example of some of the things or even just generically that you've, that you've just said, no, not our, not our bag? Well, I, I won't talk clients specifically, uh, but certain, I guess, certain categories that are, that don't align with what we want to build or how we want to, uh, engage. So yeah, I, I, you know, it, uh, I'm trying to think of an example, but um, and sometimes it's just the you know one of the the things. Maybe I'll tell the story. The when we didn't have a client, we wrote on this whiteboard in our first little office. We said, as I've and I'm repeating myself a bit, but brands we believe in, people we believe in. The one piece I left off is we have to believe there's creative opportunity, and I'd say I'd say if we saw you know a client. And, and we looked at their history and there wasn't anything there that e even looked like creative output, we may 
run the other way, right? Like I think, and, and there's different people look at our business in certain ways. There's, there's creatives and there's, you know, some people look at it as more of a science. And a science-based approach is a very, you know, it could be very cookie cutter. You don't believe that the creativity has the magic to shift perception. So if you're more of a scientist, we may not be right for you, right? And, and, but, but we actually work well with scientists because a, a lot of strategy comes out of insight. A lot of insight comes out of data. Data drives, you know, a lot of what we do now, especially with, you know, being digital first and everything that we do, it, it's, uh, it's part of it. So I think I've skirted that one quite well without mentioning any clients that we said no to specifically. But, but I did want to bring up a book that I brought because it, it's helped shaped, um, uh, you know, at least my thinking around what, what we're here to do. And it was written by an author called Bo Burlington. And Bo's written a couple great books. The one that I'm going to reference is called Small Giants. And I probably read this 10, 12 years ago. And it was really uh, about clients, or not clients, sorry, companies that chose to be great at what they do. And they, uh, and they didn't put growth as the primary reason for being. And, and, and in fact, in many cases, the book's called Small Giants, and in many cases, companies that choose to be great instead of big. And big, you know, in different, what, what's big mean? But, but I'd say we're, we're, we're certainly not big. We may never be big, but, but could we be a small giant? And I'd say within small giants, you have to make choices, and often those choices are based on the things you believe and the values that you share. So, so I'd say, you know, for us, and, and I know for me, Small Giants was a great book about a number of companies that have been on this journey, and they made, because inevitably you make choices along the way, right? You make choices that will impact where you end up. And, um, and some companies have, you know, BHAGs, right? Big, hairy, audacious goals. But in some ways, a big, hairy, audacious goal for those, and it works for lots of companies, but it sort of forces you. It forces you to grow to that level, whether the conditions are right, whether you've got the team that can deliver. And, and for one reason or another, we've not been driven by that kind of structure. I think it works really well for certain companies in certain categories. In our, especially in a creatively driven category, it's not really worked for us. But, but, but you know, I'd say the, the, the book about small giants uh, really connected with me personally and, 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 and again, reinforced this notion of values-based and, and, and knowing, knowing why you're here, knowing what you're doing. It's a good example of, and when I, when I look at that, I look at Rethink and look at you, there's, you know, the, the masculine energy in all of us, male or female, is achievement-driven, right? Structure and achievement. Mm -hmm. And in essence, what you've done, maybe with this book or otherwise, is you've rewritten how you achieve. And I talked about this with a, a guest of mine, Brenda Allen. She talked about how, you know, in generalization, how men and women tend to win mm. differently. Men tend to win from a I win, you lose. Women tend to win from I win, you win, we both win. Yeah. And you've, in essence, changed the rules of achievement for mm -hmm. your company and said this is the way that we define achievement mm -hmm. so you can win. Mm -hmm. And not in the, in the achievement style of like everybody gets a medal and we don't care about money. It's like, no, you're saying achievement for us is going to be really driven by quality and values. Yeah. And, by the way, we also want to make money. Yeah. And that's a that's a darn good thing. Yeah, yeah. No, and 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 I and I guess with each of those, and I, and 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 I think it it's one thing to have values, but you have to have your values in a priority, and you have to have them in alignment for them to truly be working. Right. So if I if I was to take you know our three Ps and say you know, with, with decisions we make and, and, and hires and rewards. I mean, are we putting people first? And we do our best. And tra Travis, we're not perfect. Like, we, 
you know, we've messed up on some hires. We've, you know, parted ways with some people in ways maybe we do different too. But but uh, we're trying our best, right? And and uh, but we we've strived through our actions, not our words, to put people first. And uh, you know, whether it's through profit sharing, whether it's through gratitude, whether it's through time off, whether it's through you know a thank you dinner, whether it's through work from home days, you know, we, we've tried uh, a sabbatical after 10 years, you know, three years holidays when you start. So we tried to do the things that say, we respect you, you, you know, if you're here, uh, you can be self-responsible, like you, most of the functions can work from home. So we have, we call it woo, I'm wooing today. So wooing means you're still doing your job, but you're not doing it from here. And in some organizations and cultures, that's just not acceptable but but we place high value on self-responsibility and know that you know we've got a, a an engaged committed group of people that and quite frankly in a team environment it's not do I want to let my do what will I let my boss down it's will I let my peers down right and that's actually the you know the one of the keys underneath you know I think the strength of our firm is is strong peer relationship I don't want to disappoint them I don't want to let them down so there that that's for sure uh, uh, underneath it so so yeah I think um, you know I think the you know the the things that you do and and again it has to be I know you got a poster behind your head but it's through (laughs) it's through do you act that way not do you you know we don't put that up as a reminder that we need to be nice to people we put that up because that's reinforcement to hopefully the actions and behaviors you see each and every day when people show up. That's a really good observation, though, around the peer accountability piece. And you maybe you realize it, maybe you don't. That is a significant deviation from what most, and again, broadly generalizing, what most organizations are doing and the way that their dynamics work is it's very much, you know, make my boss happy, make them look good which is generally a good idea at work, yet the peer relationships tend to suffer. I mean, I get brought in often to work on the, on the peer-to-peer piece and to work on the team side. And not necessarily about the relationship of team to boss, but of mm. team to each other. Mm. They're all very nice to the boss. Right. It's about, you know, are you going to leave your peer in the lurch? Yeah. And, you know, maybe that's, something for people out there to consider when they're you know designing their their reward systems or whatever design in the organization is can you create that peer accountability so that you get the kinds of behaviors that you want to get for sure well the our whole feedback and review system is around your peers which formulates in the end uh, what your boss will provide in your review right and and we don't you don't expect that it has to be the annual review that everything comes out but uh, I'd say the different parts of the organization we rely on each other I think that I think that's actually the the crux of it uh, too in terms of the you know the business we're in and I think there's other businesses like this the I mean the the the, the business side like I couldn't start this without creative talent um, creatives would have a hard time running this without the business side, we couldn't actually execute anything without a really talented production team. We need traffic and administration to be high functioning to deliver all of what we need to deliver. Uh, We place high value on accounting and IT as sort of infrastructure and support. So we're we're reliant on each other. And, And I think that reliance gives us the, you know, the environment where we build trust, we respect, we, you know, give, you know, I, I always, you know, on the business side, I would always fight for more time for creatives. So if I did that, the, uh, you know, the creatives may often were more uh, accepting of feedback that could be critical of their ideas. So again, if you help and support each other through that, in the end, you, uh, you know, you have, you have a team that functions, so even if client wants to kill an idea, we said if it's wounded, we'll kill it. 
and we'll come back with a better idea. Just give us more time. Like part of it is, it's, it's you know, every day's a negotiation, right? Every day's a, <laughs> and it's, and, 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 and I think that that's what builds, you know, respect and, and trust between peers is that uh, negotiation, again, not a, you have to do this, we need you to do that. That's just not, not acceptable. It's a good standard to, um, to live by in this organization that's working well for you, obviously. Well, it's been, it's, yeah, I, I'd say it's part, you know, we've had, you know, we've had clear values. We've had a lot of good fortune. We've had, you know, we've had some things fall in our lap. We've had some things we've had to work really, really hard for. Um, you know, we, we've had in Canada, you know, we're lucky to, you know, live where we live and have the latitude to do the things the way we've been able to do them. Um, you know, the economy for the most part, a couple of blips in there has been, has been pretty solid. So, you know, there's, there's always factors that, you know, yeah. that, that impact, guess, guess what, our two toughest years are two, we've contracted three out of 19 years, two of those were in the depths of the recession. Yeah. When it was, when it's bad out there, when I talked about conditions, guess what? When it's bad out there, it's bad for us. What do you think is easy to cut? Yeah, yeah. the marketing, marketing budget, advertising. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, and you, and you and you you've been through this this cycle, and I know in our conversations so far, you know, you've really just tried to build this this culture on some pretty, let's say, simple but profound values. What what have you seen though? What have you seen change? Maybe not even just in your 20 years, but through your career, what have you seen change around the gender side in, in your industry? Especially, you know, given that you know the high-profile nature of Mad Men, like what has what has been this trajectory where today you have this amazingly diverse team, and that may not even even been possible 20 years ago. I, I don't know. Well, I, I I'd say there's there's more talent than ever, right? Like we have more people coming out of post-secondary with m more education, more talent. We're, you know, I think the technology has enabled creatives to be multitaskers that can create, that can shoot, that can edit. So there's, you know, there's, we're certainly seeing, you know, different people with different skills. Our, our creatives today, which they didn't 20 years, are, are they're directing, they're, uh, we've got in-house editorial. So we're, you know, in the digital era, it's critical that you adapt and 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 deliver. I'd say maybe, and I know you want me to go into the gender piece, and I think, I mean, the one thing that isn't gender related though is just the, you know, I look at the millennial cohort, and mm. um, and I know as a cohort their alignment around uh, businesses who have values that align with their values is really, really important. And I'm inspired by that. And I think the transparency and digital and social uh, media today play a role in knowing more about brands' actions and behaviors and what they do and how they do it. And I think uh, they're forcing companies to share those beliefs. And if they don't, they're they're gonna choose a different brand. They're gonna choose a different company. They're gonna they're gonna speak with their with their feet in their wallet. So so uh, you know I think and that goes for 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 both genders. The, and there's no question the you know in our organization we we've had you know a strong female leadership from uh, early days in our partner group. I, I I should have done the math, but I I think we've got. A fairly in the next generation partner group beyond the three oh, yeah. founders. We've got a, you know, our, our head of uh, production, uh, the the uh, head of uh, client services here, the the two co-creative director managing partners here, uh, a creative director managing partner in Toronto. So we we're we're, we're certainly well represented, and and then in some. You know, in, in some departments, we've got, yeah, more women than men. So there's a, I'd say there's a real balance. But we, I, I've never, uh, Travis, looked at it through that lens of we're just looking for best talent. Right, and, and, that's, and, and well, that's a big difference, though. 
I guess it doesn't seem that different to me or to us, but but I, the I way you achieved it. I mean, so much right. talk today is about you know eliminating bias and having a really comprehensive diversity and inclusion strategy, and those those things are they help, especially in larger organizations. Perhaps. Sure. What's interesting is you've achieved you've achieved this great diversity in a just in just in a unique way. That's my my only yeah. point is that you've done it through through your values and yeah. said, well, this you said. You, I, and it's, some people say, "Well, we just look for top talent." Right. But then you look well, at the you look you, at the at the C suite, and you're like, "Well, well clearly, <laughs> your top talent's somewhat biased." Well, here's a question for you: um, Who who is more attracted to values based companies, men or women? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like I don't know either. Yeah. I don't know, and we, you know, I, I and I would think it would be pretty balanced. I I, I don't know. But yeah, I, I, what I know is the research around, you know, different age cohorts and different demographics in terms of their, in terms of where they're leaning, and and the, I'd say the whole world. I think even, you know, I'm a tail end boomer, and there's more consciousness around boomers and their actions and their behaviors, and 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 I think that's a good, it's a good thing too, right? So. Um, so yeah, but I, but I, that's maybe an interesting follow-up. It could be a great angle to cover on a future <laughs> interview. Yeah, I mean, those are the, that's a big question. It right? is a big question, yeah. I mean, a lot, like, a lot has changed. And as you said, you're on this boomer edge. You know, you said you're the tail end. Yeah. Tom's a, Tom's a very young boomer for those that are listening that don't know him. So should we tell the listeners that this is our heating system? Oh yeah, that's right. In our 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 hundred and two year old uh, relatively low rent office. So when the boilers come in, they start popping like that. Isn't it's a great it's, sound? It's, it's, yeah. it's the kind of sound that makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. You're wondering what's going to happen next. <laughs> it, it only lasts. A Luckily, a I've or so. I've heard so, it before. Yes, um, we have. <laughs> so you, I mean, you definitely weren't going to escape this. But we've seen we've seen that shift even in, in advertising around more, almost more values-based advertising. And there's a, mm -hmm. you know, a really prominent ad today as we're, you know, we're talking in, in January 2019, the now famous Gillette ad comes out. And at a, an organization that's been known for talking about the best a man can get and you know, helping men, certainly of my generation, to see that a real man has a rippling six-pack, he's six feet tall and well-built, and is shaving apparently no facial hair off his face mm -hmm. in every ad, and now we have this, you know, this about face, mm -hmm. and a, a very values based, let's say, ad campaign from Gillette. And you're, you know, you're an ad marketing guy. What what were your observations on on the Gillette ad? Well, it's an ad. <laughs> no, it's it's not an action, right? Mm. Like I think. Uh, Brands like people have to act in accordance with their values, not do an ad that expresses them, right? So I'll give you an example, and this isn't a self-promotion, but our client A&W eliminated uh, plastic straws in their restaurants. So of the straws that remained in their inventory, we did a sculpture using those straws that said, do the right thing. And we put that sculpture up in a prominent place in actually Toronto. And we filmed the building of the sculpture to send a message to Canadians and maybe even to other companies that we're doing the right thing. So what I don't know, what's Gillette actually doing to help not just talk about the problem, but to be part of the solution or to be active. So the minute you do an ad that, that pokes at an issue, do you have the backup and the action that follows the, 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 that follows the commentary? Because it's really a commentary, if you're to say. So, so I'll, I'll tell you, then uh, this, this was just a crazy, Thing we did when Russia was hosting the uh, the Sochi Games, Putin of course had an anti-gay, you know, message that he sent. Mm -hmm. So we um, we approached the 
the Canadian Institute for Diversity and Inclusion. And we said, are you up for making a statement around the Olympics and Putin's stance? Because we don't agree with it. So we're not political, but in this case, we thought this is just total bullshit, right? So they said, yeah, we'd love to do it. So we had two of our rethinkers, um, and on a green screen, we had them, it was two guys, and they were in skin-tight bodysuits, and they were demonstrating men's luge to the... <laughs> to the song of Don't You Want Me Baby, and the tagline was, the Olympics have always been a little gay, let's keep it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and the, the highlight was when Jimmy Kimmel, like it went sort of round, yeah. the, like it got, I saw it. It, 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 it did okay, right? It so, did And we did well. it just yeah. because we thought, come on, like this is ridiculous. So, and Jimmy Kimmel did, he played the whole ad on the show, and then he did the positions of the Kama Sutra on the luge, and he did like 10 different, like he had this whole, he built it in a studio, so it's hilarious. Wow. So, so again, this is, you know, advertising can be a, it can be uh, like a, a, a lighthouse that starts to attract attention and that you can see from afar, but there has to be a way, and in this case, you know, the, the Institute for Diversity and Inclusion, this is what they're fighting for. They're fighting against what, you know, what Russia's stance was. So we were prepared to weigh into that uh, with, you know, in the end, no consequence to our business because we're not looking at doing business with uh, Russia anytime soon. So, so uh, you know, I think, you know, I, I think the Gillette piece, it's an ad. They may have, you know, actions and behaviors and things that they're doing over and above that. Don't know, but what I, you know, when you, when I look at corporate social responsibility, which it's it's sort of it's in that area. Well, it needs to be about the things that you're prepared to do and the behaviors that you're prepared to take, and maybe the the causes that you're prepared to support. And you know, we did that piece for the diversity and inclusion as a, we call them change proposals within the company. So we'll donate our time and services to try to make positive change in our community, uh, in our country and in our world. And, and we need, you know, we'd rather do that than cut a check. We can create a much greater impact by doing something that will uh, uh, create a, a positive reaction, or at least a counterpoint to a, a negative view, right? So, uh, yeah. So I don't know. I maybe Gillette's doing lots of good things, and but I sure hope they are, because if you're prepared to put that out, you've got to have behaviors that support that message. So, that's that's got to be about the best assessment of it that I've heard, as opposed to getting either offended or or wildly supportive of the ad and what it speaks for really taking it right back to the beginning of our conversation where we talked about values is more than a poster on the wall, the one that happens to be ominously sitting behind my head right now. <laughs> it's about actually doing something about them and being willing to make the tough decisions. So I, I'd like to end on that, Tom, because that's a really deep assessment and a reflection of how your own company operates. And my, you know, my big takeaway <laughs> Is that you have, as a group of as a group of initial founding partners, and now as an entire company, you've taken the idea of values-based leadership, and you've managed to create a legacy that is building the kind of company where people are actually going to want to come to work, regardless of whether there are you know gender or other diversity uh, issues. You've said, hey, this these are the values that we stand for. We'd love to have really talented people come and join us, yeah. and um, I'm I'm very excited to see what the future will hold for you personally as you as you step into the more advisory role and on the board of this, and you get to watch mm. all this amazing talent that you've grown and the culture that you've created really come to life for the next generation. So it's been a pleasure to talk to you. 
I appreciate you hosting me in this 102-year-old meeting room with the values <laughs> pasted above my head um, and the radiator. It's all part of the all part of the conversation. So thanks again for sharing your wisdom and insights, oh, Tom. Uh, you're welcome, Travis. It's been my pleasure, and 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 I just I just want to give you a shout out for doing this. This is amazing work, and. Uh, it's creating more dialogue and conversation around. So thank you. It's been, uh, no, it's been my absolute pleasure. Okay, that's a wrap on episode number eight, the Men at Work podcast. I hope you took a lot out of that conversation with Tom. He's always a pleasure to talk to, and I'm sure I'm going to have him back on the show. If you enjoyed this episode or other episodes of the Men at Work podcast, please either rate and or give it a review in iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Okay, thanks for listening. I'll talk to you all again next week.